I had this one experience. I was coming back from the beach with my kids and my wife. And they were super tired after a long day at the beach. They were hungry. We were trying to go get them, you know, fast food or something just to like keep them calm. But on on the process there, they were just screaming and bitching and complaining about every little thing because they're just grumpy state. And I had to get out of the car and go around to the trunk to grab them something that, you know, my son was like losing his mind over not having, or I don't know what it was. But the moment I like got the thing out of the trunk and I closed it, I was actually standing next to Loyola University, which has this massive green lawn out in the front, right on the coast, BCH with the ocean right there. And it was near sunset. And I literally stood there for like 10 seconds and just like looked up and kind of just felt the moment it was quiet for a second. There were no cars driving. It was crazy. But I literally felt my feet in the ground and where I was in this giant earth, like this little thing. And there was something about just that 10 seconds of quiet and just being in the moment. When I got back in the car, all their crazy screaming and all that literally had no impact on me. I was over it and just understood they're just going crazy. I don't need, because I was getting worked up uh, prior to that. And it was literally starting to affect me where I was getting stressed. And, you know, as a parent, you get to that point where you feel like I'm going to explode. I need to get out of here. Like, but something about that moment just really grounded me. And, and I don't know if it was the breath work or the environment or whatever, but I can see how just letting all that mentalness barriers and all that down just really, really can reset the moment. Welcome to the Two Sales Guys Podcast with your hosts, Sean Whitley and Matthew Sopiers. What's commonly talked about are the tactics and methodologies for sales professionals. What is less commonly talked about is the stress and anxiety that comes with being a seller. Each day, sales reps are asked to take rejection after rejection, operate in a world of uncertainty and high pressure, and either fail to hit their number or get a higher quota the next year. We'll talk about how to cope with these pressures and what a winning sales mindset really looks like. Sales is often called a performance business, and we'll explore how stress can drive bad selling behaviors. And alternatively, we'll look to experts on how you can manage your mind and wellness first so that you're putting your best foot forward every day at work. We'll talk to professionals in the industry who share the same experiences and what organizations can do to create a healthy, winning sales culture. Thank you, everyone, for joining us once again. Uh, we wanted to kick this episode off by letting you know we've got another tremendous guest here with us today. We we have a little bit of his background that I think is quite impressive. And so for over 16 years, uh, Richard has worked as a performance coach in high-performance sports with some of the best organizations and athletes in the world from Great Britain and China. And this includes supporting teams in preparation for two Summer Olympic Games, both London 2012 and Rio 2016, as well as most recently, the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, where in all of those events, uh, he had athletes that had medaled. And currently, he sits as the co-founder of the Conscious Life Collective. With that, Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Really excited to have you here, Richard. And I mean, your resume speaks for itself. And we're certainly interested in getting your take on stress and pressure and how to cope with it, because it sounds like you do that for some of the best athletes and some of the most intense, intense situations out there in the world. So 
Um, Sean and I thought it would be just a good baseline for our audience to talk just a little bit about what you do um, with your customers across some of the things that Sean mentioned in the intro. Yeah, so I don't work in um, sport anymore. I left sport a few years ago now. Um, and so I work with kind of anyone really. Um, I work in the corporate field, um, but I also work with anyone, um, individuals and organizations and really help people unlock and reach their full potential. And, you know, full potential is such a broad aspect and a, a broad statement, but it simply starts with kind of personal mastery. Um, you know, can you balance your rest and nutrition and movement and commitments and relationships? Um, you know, potential to me in performance now, performance is an output. So whether you are an Olympic athlete looking for a to medal or you're working in the corporate field looking for improved numbers and, and sales and that kind of stuff, or you're a mother or father or partner and you want to be your best version. Like to me, that's all the same thing. It's all performance. It's all being your best self showing up as your best self. And so, yeah, we help people towards kind of personal mastery, um, leadership qualities. So not just the stereotypical leadership qualities, but, um, how we relate to each other as human beings, how we make decisions, how, you know, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, work with people with flow as well. Like, um, since leaving, well, no, within sport, but I guess my history, uh, the reason I left sport, I lost, I gave end of life care to my mother, um, in 2015. And that just changed my life. Like on so many different levels, uh, it just woke me up to one, the fact that I'm going to die one day. And what does that even mean? Um, the whole process of end of life as painful as it was, is such a magical privilege to be part of and with my father as well I have to I've done that and, and so it really has given me a kind of broader awareness of wait a minute what is life about what's going on here and from that um you know kind of uh, my working in professional sport wasn't answering the questions that they used to and so I was kind of looking for something else and flow or I guess where flow comes in is you know those states of flow flow is technically described or defined as the ultimate state of consciousness or awareness whatever you want to say where we feel our best and perform our best and so flow is a peak state and so flow is kind of quite a high performing peak state because we function at a really high level and you know you could relate that to an athlete, you could relate that to a creative, you know, who's working on a project who just, you know, an artist or writer or whatever, who just in flow for long blocks of periods of time. Or that could be in flow when you're having a conversation with someone or, you know, making love or at a concert or whatever. And these these moments where the flow genome project are kind of steer you towards them. Jamie will amaze it. I kind of did some training with them after, uh, in my time, in those last five years. And they're amazing. And really kind of bringing the science behind non-ordinary states. And there's an acronym STIR. So selflessness, or an acronym that describes the flow state or peak state. So selflessness, where your sense of self vanishes, your inner critic goes, your sense of uh, personal space is gone. Like you're just in that moment, not worrying about what you're doing. You're just in that moment. T is timelessness. So time slows down or speeds up two hours can go past in five minutes feel like five minutes um all the other way around um e is for effortlessness 
So what you're doing is just, you're just doing it. You're not thinking about it. You're just in it. And then you'll pop your head up and think, well, and then R is for richness, information, richness. And those moments where you get innovation or creativity or insight or deep knowing and flow could be on a micro level. So it could be on during the day where you're just knocking all your tasks out. You're having a great day. You're flying around. When I say flying around, not like overly busy, but just the day is easy. You're noticing nature. You're just, what a great day to be alive. All the way through to macro flow. And macro flow or macro peak state could be, you know, a profound life-changing experience. So that could be a, a transformational festival. That could be, again, a sexual connection with someone. That could be at an incredible concert. That could be a psychedelic experience. That could be, you know, all those moments that take us out of ourselves and connect us to something more, whatever that more is. So something more, and um, yeah, I'll steer you towards them. They're 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 a great organisation that are doing amazing work in, in that field. So yeah, I think I've described kind of what I do, and, and really, I think ultimately, like you know, the last thing I'll say about what we do is kind of, are you living your fullest expression of a human being right now? Um, for so much of my life, I was not, and the, the beauty of death made me realise that, and. Um, and so I think we were talking just before this, you know, the, the world is in a turbulent time right now and divided. And yet we're all under the same roof. And, you know, can we forgive? Can we show up as our best self, even though the drama is going on? Can we stop getting hijacked? And can we relate to people with us, um, intimate relationships or whether that's professional relationships in a way that is creative and brings people together rather than divisive? And so... All of our work is aimed at that, helping people unlock that full potential. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I hear the term flow state more and more often these days. I think it's become popularized a little bit. And I think what's interesting, something you said there was you're living in the moment, um, which when you have anxiety, you're, you're really not living in the moment Um for the most part, in most situations, you're usually fearing something that hasn't happened yet. Um, and so I think that the flow state stuff that you talked about is relevant um, because a lot of times I think anxiety prevents business people, salespeople, et cetera, from doing their best work because they're not in the moment. Um, but I wanted to dig in on the flow state stuff a little bit more with, you know, do people like how much of your time is spent discovering people? What is their flow state versus like helping them get to that flow state? Um, because I would imagine like a lot of people don't know what that is for, for, for themselves. So like, do you help people go through and discover that or define that and get them into those situations versus, you know, obviously they already know what their flow state is. And it's like, okay, how do we reproduce that more often for somebody? Exactly that. Um, everyone has the states that they know that get them out of their head. And when I want to mean get them out, you get you out of your head, quiet in that, that mind, quiet in that inner critic. And so some people are naturally drawn towards action sports. Some people are drawn towards music. Some people are drawn towards creativity. And I, I think kind of we were saying that in the moment, you know, like I think coming back before we describe that, talking about there's only really one of three places we're in. We're either in the deep, deep now, the present moment where we're experiencing this, uh, like, you know, selflessness, timelessness, effortless and richness, or we're in the past where it's kind of more of a depressive 
area where we're, where we're thinking back to painful times or perfect times or in the future, more of an anxious type of state. We're fearing the future or um, hoping or wishing we are already in that fantastical future. And so, you know, flow will bring us back to those moments. And to, we all do things to get us out of that inner critic. So that is either a conscious practice where we know that we need to get into nature, whatever it is, get into nature, writing, art, moving your body, listen to music, whatever it is. Or we're, we're unconsciously numbing out. And so that could be binge watching on Netflix. That could be substance abuse. That could be whatever it is. And, and not to it's important to say not to knock substances. I think substances are useful with the right set and setting and attention. So whether that is cannabis, whether that is um, alcohol, whether that is whatever you know, whatever the substance and depending on the legalities or whatever it is wherever you are, you know, there's a there's a conscious practice to that. But I think the numbing, you know, the kind of the, the no social media is a numbing practice. Binge watching is a numbing practice. You know, f- f- eating is a numbing practice. It could be a numbing practice, and so. First of all, highlighting that, like what is your default in those situations? And I think if you can be as one, bring a spotlight onto what you do is the first place to start. Like if they're unconscious, then they're unconscious for a reason. Like they're just a habit and you're just, you're not even thinking about it. Um, and then two, like start to bring awareness or why am I, why am I, why am I numbing up around those areas? But coming back to flow, I mean, yeah, you either have an idea of what you're doing or you can start to kind of try things out, try things for the first time. You know, I think that we're, we're creatures of habit for a reason. We like to stay in comfort because it's awkward and it's uncomfortable and it's scary to move out of our normal. But the more we can nudge into that fear or nudge into that discomfort, like life opens up and life is always going to be this uncomfortable. And there are, you know, we like to think we have control. We have zero control. The perception of control is there until something happens and then the world falls in, doesn't it? And yeah, just, uh, does that answer your question? Yeah. 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 And I think, I think one thing, cause we're talking a little bit about fear here. And when we were doing the prep for this discussion, I thought you had a really good definition for fear. I think you shared that with us. Could you, could you share that again? Yeah. I'd love to claim it. It's not mine. It's um, Dr. Andrew <laughs> Huberman. He's a professor. I'm sure he's a professor at Stanford. He, he studies fear and the fear response and loads of cool stuff like that. But he describes fear that his definition of fear is really, I just really like it. It's anxiety plus uncertainty. And so uncertainty is the unknown. How are we going to make income tomorrow if we leave our job? This whole year of 2020 has been yeah. full of uncertainties. That is still is uncertainty. And we just we can't do anything about that. We almost have to live day to day right now. And so you, we can make plans, but we still know that that's, you know, it might work and it might not. And anxiety is a physiological state. And that's linked to a set of thoughts or beliefs. And so physiological state being that we get stress hormones released, we get changes in heart rate, we get blood pressure increase, breathing patterns change. So that's, yeah, that's kind of where anxiety plus uncertainty equals fear. Like, we, and, it, and I think if you break it, what I love about it, you can break it down and you can start to see like, well, I can, I have control over something here. We don't have control over the external world. We never do, even though it feels like it sometimes, but we have control of our internal physiology. Um, and just simply, you know, taking control of breath is, is one, the lowest hanging fruit with a, a, a huge impact. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of the areas we'd love to dig in more on is the the breath side. And I think the techniques that you help 
your customers and anyone else that you've worked with on? Because, I mean, there is no removing uncertainty right now. Mm -hmm. You know, there's unfortunately not answers to big questions about what's going to happen with COVID and when things will be normal. And so I think transitioning to, okay, we know that uncertainty is going to be there. Um, and in a lot of jobs and sales, especially it's, you know, it's always uncertain <laughs> what the future lies. You can do a lot to control it, but sometimes outcomes are not, you know, easily predictable. And so I would love to hear your perspective on, you know, what do you do when you start helping your clients? And, and I think you talked a lot about breath in our prep. So maybe mm. you could tell us a little bit about the role in breath and all of this, and then, you know, some techniques or things that you coach your clients on as it relates to breath or really anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, see, see breath as a remote control to your mind. Um, breath is the bridge between our mind and our body. And, you know, uh, something, something privileged in sport, especially action sport or the, for some reason it was aerial acrobatic sports. I was with most, but you know, athletes and well, those, I can talk from my experience, those, the guys, the people I've worked with, men and women, they're so in tune with their body that they, uh, that's one thing that's, that kind of notice, you know, between the rest of us, we're so detached from our body. We're, oh, we're cut from the neck, neck down. We're just in our heads behind our eyes. And so the first thing is to bring you, bring your awareness into your body. And that might sound, you know, I'm aware that we're talking before and like, Oh, just tune into your body and all that kind of stuff. Like we have this incredible organ, this machine, this uh, incredible organic machine that is unbelievable. And so, you know, trying to relate it to real life, we have three distinct decision-making areas in our body. It's not just our brain. So we have our gut, huge research in this field. That's, you know, I, I think before I go down this road, like, you know, the yogis have said this for thousands the yogis mystics have said this for thousands forever, but modern science is now kind of, you know, giving some back objective markers to this. And so if any of you out there are yogis, but, um, <laughs> um, yeah, like the guts, for example, the gut communicates with the brain. There's a two way relationship between the gut and the brain for every nine bits of information, sorry, for every 10 bits of information, nine go upwards. And so there's serotonin release in the gut. Um, you know, so, so I'll point you to someone called Zach Bush. Uh, he's an incredible person, this work in this field. Um, and Dr. Andrew Huberman as well. Um, so you've got, you've got your gut and then you've got your heart and I'll point you towards the heart math Institute and they've looked at the heart, um, heart brain connection for like 25 years. And so again, there's neurons in the heart that are, are important with regards to decision-making, how we feel and what we're perceiving and that kind of stuff. And so tuning into your gut, tuning into your heart and tuning into your head are three key areas that need to work together. And they're not, well, not one is better than the other, but we kind of learning to use those and tune into those feelings and perceptions and then breath so breath breath is the bridge between those things and one of the bridges and um and so if you think trying to look like how we breathe when we're stressed we tend to either hold our breath or our breath gets short shallow and we enter this kind of chesty chest dominant anxious choppy type of breathing and if you're not sure if you do that next time you're stressed tune into that and what you're doing probably holding your breath or you're probably very, very at least shallow breathing. Being aware of that, bringing your awareness into your body and, and noticing that is like a, one of the first steps. And I think how we make decisions or most of our time is up behind our heads. Um, and so 
we're ignoring our body. And so rather than being in our heads most of the time, can we be in our body all the time? And I kind of link you to something like a, a pattern interrupt you can do in a stressful moment to start with before you go into a breath practice is does this inform me or does this affect me? So does this inform me? Is this giving me good data to go by to make a decision? Or is this affecting my physiology? Is my breath rate changing? Am I feeling a rise in emotion? Am I feeling a change in heart rate? It's kind of like all that awareness, somatic experience or somatic awareness within our body. Like they're massive signals that our body is telling us. And so if we can spot that, uh, like initially we can take control of that because once we're, once emotion, you know, once we're hit a red limiter, like we're off, we're lost, we're screaming that person who's cut in front of us or we're thinking about the worst case scenario or whatever it is. So that awareness is, is something I encourage people to, to tune into, begin to build. And then breath work, you know, breath work practice, again, has been around forever, pranayama, whatever you want to call it. And now it's being studied across the world in incredible places and so much stuff is coming out. But the way you breathe is creates physiological change in your body. And so simply you could, I mean, one thing you could do immediately is begin to breathe through your nose more often. Um, Breathing through our nose does three things. One, it helps us switch into more of a parasympathetic rest, digest, neurological state in our, in our nervous system. So sympathetic is stress. So we get stress hormones, heart rate increases, that kind of stuff. In a, in a parasympathetic state, our body is going into recovery. So energy is diverted to, digest, to digestion, to immune function, to that kind of thing. So in a healthy world, in a healthy day, we'll switch between sympathetic and parasympathetic all day long. We'll switch between stress and recovery all day long in a healthy working nervous system. That's normal. Stress is not bad. Stress is a really good thing. Like it, it's a really, really important thing to have because we get projects done, we get focused, we, can, you know, we achieve things. When it's a bad thing is when it, we're in, stuck in this chronic fibrillation of sympathetic. And so, which I see so often, um, now that could be, that could be linked to trauma back in you know, childhood or back into past. It could be kind of a million different ways, but it's, it becomes a pattern. It becomes the default. And so breath, controlling your breath through your nose helps switch us into a parasympathetic state. So nasal breathing, be aware of what your focus, where your eyes are focusing. In a stress state, our eyes have got a short, narrow window of focus. So if you open your eyes up into a panoramic view or you close your eyes when you're in a stress moment, you're, you're offering your system some, um, you're, you're trying to over, override that system. Again, helping your, your body override that system. And then third simple thing to start with would be to control your exhale or to double your exhale time more than your inhale time. So if you breathe in for three seconds, you exhale for six seconds. That could be something you could do kind of right now in the moment. And in the moment, like very, very, very in that moment when you realize, oh my God, I've got this, I've got this sale to make. Oh, I'm going to, I'm freaking out, whatever, like, or whatever, any situation in life, or, you know, you're worried about COVID or whatever it is, something called a, a proper sigh. So you could take a, an inhale, a full inhale, another inhale, and then control that exhale out. And then inhale, inhale, control, really slow control the exhale out for us. You know, you could do three to five, three to seven reps of those. That's something in the moment to give yourself control back or to, to kind of get you back onto a playing field.
So what's your question? <laughs> so it's a yeah. I love it. I think um, I read something about how like children tend to breathe better than adults. Like they are doing proper dia- diaphragm breathing when they're younger. But then at some point, I think as like we become we understand anxiety or, or as, as like kids at some point, like when you're a teenager, you be, start to understand anxiety, you start to plan, you start to like think about the future. Whereas like most little kids kind of live in the moment. They're not really thinking about much other than what's kind of right in front of them. And, and I read something about at some point when that happens, you know, we stop breathing through our stomachs and, you know, and then, you know, we're just kind of breathing up here a little bit. We stop breathing through our nose. And, um, you know, I think breath is one of those things that's just overlooked. (laughs) Um, I know myself, like I've been stressed out and it's even really hard when it's obvious you should control your breathing. I have someone telling me, Hey, take some deep breaths. Like when you're all worked up and stressed out, it's like uh, you you almost can't, or you like don't want to. And, um, you know, it's something though, I think just being more aware of it, thinking about it a little more is probably going to have like a bunch of impact right yeah for sure um i mean some of the, some of the people that dr andrew even works with is special forces and so uh you know arguably they're in some of the, the most terrifying situations possible um and you know it's not i, I can listen to him speak you know it's, it's not it's not necessarily about, Oh, you need to come back to a state of calm. It's about getting something you can can take control of right now. So if that means, right, I can focus on slowing my exhale out. You can take control of that right now. It doesn't mean that you might, you might be back to, you know, baseline or anything like that, but you have something to hold on to because if you don't have something to hold on to, you're just going to escalate and spiral out of control into a panic attack or into, you know, wherever you're going to go. I think linking back to kids, you know, my daughter's nearly three and what an education it is for me to see her and see how children deal with emotions. They let it out, you know, she's, you'll see her like lose it. And, but she's, (laughs) she's just letting it out without um, edit and all that kind of stuff. And then she's done. And then she'll, she's back to normal. She's back to, right, let's go and do something. You know, let's go, like, it's completely past. There's no holding on. There's no resentment. There's no yet, of course. Um, <laughs> but I think what I learned from that is that, one, we as adults are told to suppress our emotions. Um, my understanding of the body now and what I've been through the last five years is that our body is like a library of everything we've been through. And so that could be, you know, trauma, emotional, physical trauma as a, as a youth, you know, extreme trauma, it could be you fall off a bike and hurt yourself. And if we don't let that out, if we don't get it out, it stays in our body. And so you imagine a lifetime of 20, 30, 40 years of that, 50, 60, whatever it's in our body. And so that begins to run us on like, almost like a default. So those programs that we learn that pain and that programs are almost, uh, you know, see it like they're on a floppy disk where we're adult, you know, we're using smartphones and using the cloud and that kind of stuff. And we might go to, uh, we might see the floppy disk. We think, yeah, I keep reacting to that. I can see it. I could react in this situation or my default habits are this, but we can't understand it anymore because it's held within our body. And I think, um, well, a bit of a tangent, but breath, breath is one way of unlocking that, you know, breath is a, a form of energy release. And I don't mean, I mean, simply an energetic release. Like if you start to breathe faster and deeper than normal, 
you're loosening energy, you're loosening, you know, you're getting the circulation going, all this, all this kind of stuff. And I think it is, I guess, going into more of the esoteric world, but that's also being studied now with really quite interesting objective data. You know, Johns Hopkins University is doing some great stuff. Imperial College is doing some great stuff in London um, with, yeah, anxiety, depression, and using different states to, to heal. One perspective that I feel is like the older we get, the more we think we know what we're doing, right? We think we're more educated or we've experienced it. So therefore like our minds can control the situation more. And maybe this is just like subconsciously you feel that way when, you know, out loud, I may not be able to admit that because I know I'm not in control, but it's like the example I have is like a golfer. So I don't know, me and me and Matt used to golf a lot. And when we'd go with long periods of time between playing rounds, we'd somehow come out that first round and play really well. And usually it has to do with you're just playing off of muscle memory or just letting it happen with the flow versus your brain trying to tell you like, oh, I need to correct this little adjustment on my swing and I need to go a little faster. And then of course, you don't have that mastered. And so it's all over the place. And I think that's a similar effect in, in what you're talking about with like the kids versus us is that we have all these mental constraints in the way that are causing us to think like, okay, I need to suppress it or I need to control it or not be so emotional or whatever it is. And therefore you're not just letting that energy happen as a release or as a, a moment, whatever it may be. And then it's done. And so, like you said, then it compounds and builds up and just, it's like, we need to have our, like you said, floppy drives, like reset. Let's have our hard drives reset. And so I think um, for me, like breathing, like I had this one experience. I was coming back from the beach with my kids and my wife. And they were super tired after a long day at the beach. They were hungry. We were trying to go get them, you know, fast food or something just to like keep them calm. But on, on the process there, they were just screaming and bitching and complaining about every little thing because they're just grumpy state. And I had to get out of the car and go around to the trunk to grab them something that, you know, my son was like losing his mind over not having, or I don't know what it was. But the moment I like got the thing out of the trunk and I closed it, I was actually standing next to Loyola University, which has this massive green lawn out in the front, right on the coast, BCH with the ocean right there. And it was near sunset. And I literally stood there for like 10 seconds and just like looked up. And kind of just felt the moment it was quiet for a second. There were no cars driving. It was crazy. But I literally felt my feet in the ground and where I was in this giant earth, like this little thing. And there was something about just that 10 seconds of quiet and just being in the moment. When I got back in the car, all their crazy screaming and all of that literally had no impact on me. I was over it and just understood they're just going crazy. I don't need because I was getting worked up uh, prior to that. And it was literally starting to affect me where I was getting stressed. And, you know, as a parent, you get to that point where you feel like I'm going to explode. <laughs> I need to get out of here. Like, but something about that moment just really grounded me. And, and I don't know if it was the breath work or the environment or whatever, but I can see how just letting all that mentalness barriers and all that down just really, really can reset the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would say. You know, that to me, would, I would describe that as a peak moment you had there, a flow state, whatever you want to call it, like that moment of connection to something bigger, nature, you know, your breath, like, and gave you perspective and kind of reset your, your on a physiological, probably reset your nervous system, but more you were getting perspective, you could see beyond yourself. 
Well, and I think like in the work, I think back to like work, Sean, like how many executives, business professionals, et cetera, do we know that go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting? Like literally mm-hmm. eight hours of fucking meetings without a break. How could they possibly be by like hour six <laughs> productive, non-emotional, in their best position to to listen, to listen to the group, um, to, you know, provide you know, good insight, good advice. I, I just think like sometimes culturally we don't set people up for success because of the nature of like more, 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 faster, faster, faster. And we don't make enough time for what Sean talked about there, which is kind of grounding yourself. You know, I think that's going to have an impact. Um, and I think it's good that like there's more companies talking about this stuff because I think we'll start to realize that by doing something as simple as what Sean just shared, you know, we can change a lot of things in the way that we work with each other all the way to the results we produce as businesses. So um, I thought that was awesome, Sean. It's a good story, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Teachable. Are you an expert at something? Then why don't you share what you know? Create online courses and coaching services and transform your experience and know-how into a thriving knowledge business? Or are you looking to learn from a master of something? Then why don't you check out all these amazing online courses from masters of hundreds of different topics? If so, then head on over to the twosalesguys.com forward slash teachable. things that I really wanted to talk about that I think is fascinating. I mean, it's similar to my experiences, like you working with athletes, uh, high performing athletes in the most intense situations. I mean, in our prep conversations, you talk about like Olympians train so long to have to get to this peak state for one, you know, main event, basically the Olympics. Um, have you had any interesting stories, maybe not specific with Olympians, but in general, where the athletes had these like crazy situations thrust upon them, whatever it may be, either they made a mistake or they had to recover or just the immense stress and pressure got to them. And like, how did you guys work through that? Um, was there any particular, we just want to hear some interesting stories about anything that they've maybe have been through with you. Yeah. I mean, all the time it's, uh, it's never, it's never a, a smooth pathway and I think the big things come up are injury um, you know how do you manage injuries how do you manage pain how do you manage the, the, the anxiety that comes around that and I, I think kind of one, one incident stands out of one athlete I work with and um, this was I think we were 10 days out of the London Olympic Games and she was nursing a knee injury um, but she could compete but just she was, she was managing it and um she just left the ice on for too long and then got a huge burn and this is a this was a diver so she had to get it wet and so the, the medical side would say you, you can't get it wet for a few days and they're like well i've got the olympics in 10 days time and um and i think kind of you know it that's when it comes down to the special the special nature of of all of us as human beings not you know that the best in the world can access this more often but i think this capacity to step step through adversity and to know that we have the capacity to do that we haven't got we're not special every single one of us has got that capacity um 
and we you know I think we're we're wrapped up in cotton wool far too much and sometimes um and we push too hard more often but I think um to trust yourself you know kind of I think you know 10 days out of Olympic Games you've done everything you possibly can yes you can still practice you can still put more stuff in but to know that if you're that close to a major competition probably not going to improve much more in that time it's about keeping yourself sharp and trusting the process trusting the process of what you've done it's not ideal of course but you're, you're there you've done it you've made it um and you know i would say in some way that that forced that person to rest a little bit more and um and uh yeah she was quite a unique person but uh, i think i come from one of the messages that i try and get across is that you know what these people do what in, in the, the environments that i've worked in what they do is extraordinary there really is just outstanding you just you have to just Google any slope style athlete or any diver or anything like that. But what underpins that the qualities that they have is really quite simple. Um, you know, there are some, um, you know, growth mindset. So they see the best in the world, see every obstacle that they come across as a challenge and a learning opportunity. Um, you know, certainly with injuries, they provide opportunities to work on your weaknesses. Um, and there's always a lesson in something. There's always a lesson. It's, you could either always perceive it as a problem and be a victim all the time, or you could perceive that as, okay, what am I going to learn from this? They have clear goals, so they know what they want uh, and know what they're doing and why they're doing it. Um, so they, they're completely bought into the process. They know exactly what they're getting from this method or that method or this process or whatever. Um, they get immediate feedback. So, you know, if you're a snowboarder and you're jumping, if you land, you know, you've landed it. Like it's quite, it's quite immediate, but you know, they've got video footage. They're always getting feedback from a variety of different places and understanding the impact that they're having. You know, I think linking back to the corporate world, like certainly my experience of like the, the feedback is maybe annually it's, it's, you know, it's late. You're not going to know when you're going to improve it. So how can you create a feedback loop with someone that you trust to bounce ideas off or to know kind of what effect you're having or, you know, I always think that to personal relationships, you know, we, how often do we get feedback from our loved ones, from our partners, from our, and not in a way like, you know, you're opening this up in a loving context, not like don't slam me, but you're, you're opening a pathway up to create conversation that, okay, I want this, I want our relationship to grow. How, what do I need to work on? Or what, what do you see? What unconscious patterns do you see of me? They're process driven. So yes, they want to win a medal and they want to achieve things, but they can't control that. What they can control is their process and they can make that as watertight as possible. So obviously physical training, nutrition, recovery, mindset, all those simple things, um, their process on the day, their warm up protocols, their music they listen to, like all that kind of stuff. You know, certainly with snowboarding as well, or most sports, you can't control the weather. You can't control the other athletes. You can't control something just changing on that day. They didn't expect, but it's about managing yourself and trusting what you've gone through. Link back to the example of the burn. Her process was, was, you know, was really, really good. She didn't end up meddling at that, that games, but, um, she did everything she could. And that didn't really, I don't think that really changed anything. So similar parallel with sales, um, going into like a big sales meeting, right? You got a big customer meeting, a big deal. You know, I think 
what you're talking about is an interesting parallel of if they feel fully prepared, you know, they, they look at the process they put in place of all the things they need to get up to that meeting. They can't control a lot of the external factors. So knowing that should help with them, you know, the anxiety they may have going into that meeting. One of the other things, like I know you've talked a lot about that athletes do that I think sales professionals need to do a bit more of, it helps with the getting into the flow state, is about visualization. You know, you talk about athletes going into into an event and how they visualize their success, how they visualize the moves they're going to make. In sales, you do a lot of that with role playing and preparing, you know, rebuttals and things. But could you talk to us a little bit about the power of visualization? It's massive. It's so it's huge. Every athlete is using it now. You know, it used to be just um, a few, and it used to be considered as kind of um, I don't know, a bit fluffy. I think, but kind of <laughs> visualizing, you know, like virtual reality has been used with skiers now, and you know, and so they're they're actually in it. Formula One as well. I did a little bit with. Um, they're visualizing the corners. They're visual. They're, they well. They one use simulators, but two, they close their eyes in the in the car and they're visualizing every corner. How does it feel? They visualize taking not just. I wish. I hope this. I hope this works out. Like they're visualizing it as they're doing it perfectly. How it feels. What it looks like. What they need to do. Like it's. They're actually living it in their mind, before they do it, and. You know, the science of that, I, I point you towards Dr. Joe Dispenza, which is one person, maybe not in high performance, but um, the power of visualization and the work he's doing with healing is incredible. But um, I would say, you know, when you when you think of something, again, thinking back to you're either in the past, you're either in the future or in the present now, when you're thinking something, you're reliving that experience. So if you're worried about an event that has happened or that is about to happen, if you're worried about it, then your body has having a stress response because you're, you're, you're thinking about, I'm worried about that. I don't want it to happen, but you're really feeling it. You're feeling that in your body. And so if you think, if you know, if you're preparing for a sale, thinking, how does that set, you know, trusting what the, the content that's going to come out of your mouth. Don't overthink that. But also how does it feel to have that conversation? How does it feel to make that sale? How does it feel to create that connection with that person that you're talking to kind of really sitting there and thinking about it. And if you've never done this before, then it's going to be scary to try it and it might feel silly and it might feel whatever. But the practice of, of this is, is so the best athletes in the world do this and they get results. And so again, like what the best in the world is just an output. And so best practices of people who are excelling in things, I kind of, I find interesting. And, um, I would, I would point you towards that if, if that's something you haven't done before, or just even, even, you know, if you do have to have a difficult conversation with your spouse and, or your children or whatever it is, like, how do you want that conversation to go? Because if you plan it beforehand, you're less likely to get caught up in the emotion because it's probably going to be emotional. Yeah. But you're thinking about how does that, how do you want the conversation to go? What, what's the, what's the true message you want to get across? You know, I was worried about you. I care for you. I love you rather than I'm angry at you because you did this like emotional response rather than the core meaning underneath it is, is care and it's love, isn't it? Most of the time or fear or whatever. We were talking a bit about, you know, going into a competitive moment, um, I think on the flip side, I'd love to talk about coming out of a competitive moment. Um, and I, I could 
use the advice from you because this week we just had a, a deal that, that we didn't win as a company that was a very good deal for us as a company. And we just got the news recently and that happens a lot in sales. We, we don't get the outcomes that we want. And I think it's just as important to like manage our mindset and you know what to do in those situations when we don't get the outcome. And I can imagine in your line of work, both now and in the past, you've had to have conversations after someone worked their ass off for years. You know, the Olympics only happen every four years and, you know, and, and they don't get the outcome that they wanted and, and that can be demoralizing. And so um, I think it would be great just if you have any advice or examples or things that you do to coach people or help them through, you know, when they've prepped really hard and they, they don't get the outcome that they were hoping for. I think first of all, it's important to feel the suck of that, you know, not to don't bypass that moment um, because it's a real emotion and it's a genuine, genuine emotion. Um, there's a pretty amazing woman called Dr. Jill Bort Taylor and she is a brain scientist, but I mentioned her because she had a, she had a stroke and she saw from the inside what was happening. But anyway, from her research, she's, she had come up with a 90 second rule. And so feelings are, are genuine hormonal physiological response for 90 seconds. So don't suppress them, allow them, you know, like it's going to suck if you haven't achieved what you've been aiming for. It's just, that's just, it's just the way it is. And it's a, an, an important part to feel. But then when the time is right for you, begin to think, okay, well, what went well? Like you, there's always things that went well and there's always things that you know you can work on. But, and I think it's easy to focus on what didn't go well, but what did go well? And you just can't win everything. The best in the world can't like Michael Phelps was beaten, you know, uh, God, thinking of all the best, like, I don't know if you've seen a, a amazing documentary. I loved it. Um, the last dance about the Chicago bulls. Yeah. You know, like, that's, there's so many life lessons in that. So many. And you know, they didn't win every game, but the, the best, the best in the world are, are win on a consistent basis. And there's, you can't get to that level without mistakes or without losing or without lessons. You just can't get there. You just can't do it. And, um, and so there's always a lesson. I think that's nurturing that growth mindset. You know, when the time is right, begin to start to have a, an objective look at what went, what really did go well, what do we do well and what, what didn't go well. Sometimes it might need a hard talking. Sometimes it might just be, listen, we did everything we had planned and just didn't come off and there's nothing we could have done. You know, and that's, I think that's, that's come out a lot in sport, you know, in the environments that I've been in, it's just like, we, we did everything we could. There's nothing we'd have changed. And they was just a better person one on a day for whatever reason they just did. And that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> it's hard, you know, it's, I don't think there's any way of softening that, but it's, there's also something you can really take. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I got the news, I mean, you know, you usually get it via email. <laughs> hey, we're, we're not moving forward with you anymore <laughs> after months and months of working your butt off, try to get the deal through. Um, and I think my 24 year old self and, and even really I did it now, but, um, you react to that email right away. Right. Like, and, um, the reaction when I was younger would be to respond to that email right away. Um, the reaction now is to put the phone down, you know, say a few curse words out loud. Um, <laughs> right. 
little bits. Um, but then I waited for a day. And then what I did after the emotion had subsided is I dropped a note back to the customer saying, hey, you know, it's bummed that we didn't earn your business, but would you be willing to take a quick call with me just to tell us what we could have done differently as an organization in the process, right? And I think now the emotion subsided and I'm not mad at the customer anymore. Um, and I can go back and observe and learn from the experience, figure out what we did well, to your point you know, figure out what, uh, what we can do better. So I think that's, um, that's good coaching. And I think that salespeople all around the world can, you know, take that as an example for how to, how to deal with the losses. Cause it happens a lot in our line of work. Considering like we have all these different things we talked about, like going into to these competitive situations, coming out of these competitive situations. Um, when we look at the business organization, like what do you think is the biggest shift that companies need to make in terms of like how they run their business or help their employees manage stressful situations, especially right now with COVID-19 on top of all of that? What do you think is that biggest shift that they need to make a change on? And there's a couple of things that, that stand out to me. The first one would be, so you said coming into periods and coming out of stressful, stressful um, situations. I think, you know, can you periodize that? Periodize is maybe a sporting word, but can you plan for that in the year? Um, so you've got, if you look at an Olympic athlete, you've got a, a four-year cycle and you know within each year you've got major competitions within that and at the end of the four years you've got the Olympic Games. So then you break that down to the years and then you know what, you know, whether you've got world championships or whatever it is. And then you've got your, your periods through that year. Then you've got months, days, weeks. And so you, you can plan for the intensity of what that person is to go through. So for example, you plan a, a training camp. So like in that in the business world could be, you know, you need to prepare for a pitch. That's your training camp. You're, you're prepping for that, for that high stakes moment. And then that's going to be stressful and that's going to be an, an, Certainly, only the experience that I've had with corporate, you know, the, you're preparing for a pitch on top of your day-to-day job. And so you've got an extra workload, you've got so cognitive loads and your mind is getting, like, even though you're sat there doing nothing all day, you're under stress, like a, an actual stress and stress has buckets, family and relationships and work and exercise and all of that and food, you know, as is a stress. Um, and so planning for, can you plan periods of time? Maybe you can't plan it leading into it, but can you plan to come out of that pitch period of having some quality downtime? You know, is, is that possible? Or if it's not possible, how can you make that possible? Because it's, otherwise it's just stress on top of stress on top of stress on top of stress. And at some point there's, something has to break and, it's, and it probably won't be the business, it will be the human being at the end of the day. And... Um, and I think that's the second thing, like treat people. What I see, the biggest difference between sport and, and corporate is that sport are, are they're, they're very tuned into their humanity. They're certainly, again, the, the high level risk taking of action sports is they're aware of their mortality. And I think connecting in the corporate world, connecting people to their humanity is, is, is you know, numbers and everything are, are great, but you're still human and you have emotions and you have families and you have fears and you have desires and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, when we're, when we're optimal, when we live in our full potential, we are the most creative. We can be so incredibly creative and innovative and, and connecting, you know, in a team, but it's easy to knock that off. And I think if we're doing jobs that we're not, 
whether we're doing jobs we're not interested in or we're just burnt out or and we're we're burnt out because we're too fearful of saying i'm struggling here i need a hand and that's a cultural you know that's a big thing to shift isn't it but it's um I think I said in the prep talk, like you know, the best teams in sport anyway, like all of this stuff is out on the table. It doesn't mean that everyone's best friends. It just means everyone has that unified goal in mind and everyone wants to be Olympic champion or whatever it is. And so not every, like I said, everyone's not best friend, but everyone has their, their, their thoughts out on the table and it's a safe space. You can put your hand up and I think leadership and certainly something that we focus on is, is how empathetic are you? How much, how much do your staff really believe that you care about them? You know, like, um, and how much do you pay interest in what they do? How much do you hear them when they are actually talking? And I, and I think that ties into the power of a positive. No, uh, great book by William Urey, but like how most of us say yes too often, and for three things, three reasons, we avoid it, we procrastinate, we put things off, we accommodate because we're trying to get people to like us. And once we've done those two, we're burnt out. And so we attack, we, we fire hose people with what you've done wrong and what this has happened, all that kind of stuff. And, and they're, the, they're the symptoms of not saying no. And the best, the best people know when to say no and they know what they've got on their plate and they know how much they can tolerate. And when, they, when they've reached that limit, they delegate effectively and they trust their team i think that's another thing with sport like they, they complete trust in themselves complete trust in the staff can treat trust in their teammates if it's a team sport absolutely complete trust not stabbing daggers in people's backs of course that happens in sport as well don't get me wrong you know and, but that's why those teams don't win you know um and then i think yeah i, th I think i think that's they're the things that you can take from sport or the biggest shift i, I would seeing companies I mean, you know generally speaking of course yeah i think i think there's a pretty big transformation that's going to happen with how companies think about this and i think it's already happened i think in, in all fairness i think you see companies putting in an effort to invest in things like gym memberships to make sure that their people are taking care of their body um healthy food options I think that's all kind of on the same path of we got to take care of our people's wellness, both, you know, physically and mentally. And I think there's going to be more and more companies innovating in this space and thinking about it and creating those safe spaces that you talked about. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that it happens and that companies embrace the concept. And I think Sean and I with the podcast are hoping that we don't run into too much friction on trying to break the sort of tough guy culture, uh, tough guy, tough girl culture in sales that exists a lot of times. Again, this is, I'm, I'm not in that world, but I, I think that has a shelf life now. I think levels of stress are just going through the roof and I, I think you can maintain that for so long. And I, I'm sure, I know the people I know in corporate world, like everyone knows people who've burnt out. Everyone knows people who have broken and that's going to become more and more. And I, everyone knows people who've broken who, who they perceived couldn't break. And it's like, whoa, like they're struggling. I think kind of, I wanted to say something before I didn't say it, but like even starting and ending your meetings with a breath practice as a group, as a team, whether that's on Zoom, whether that's obviously not in person at the moment too much, but, um, you know, because it, it, it creates a boundary from what's happened before that meeting. It creates a space. So you're all doing a unified thing before that meeting. 
And then you're entering into that meeting and out of that meeting with something that's helping you on, a, on a, even if it's two minutes, even if it's five minutes, just, just starting and ending a meeting like that, I think has huge power. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that when we were talking about breath and, um, I've never done that before, but I'm, I'm going to be interested in the, the response I get. Like if I have a team meeting tomorrow and I say, Hey, all right, we're, we're going to do something before this meeting. We're going to do some breath work. I can already almost imagine the kind of response that I'm going to get. Um, but I guess that's part of like being innovative and doing something is we're going to have to go through those weird, awkward moments and, you know, let people kind of see for themselves. Um, do you, Sean, like, what do you think, man? Is it like, are we asking too much? Like, can you as a manager in sales force your people to do breath work before a call as part of their job? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> managers think they can force their team to do anything anytime, right? right? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, look, I mean, the way I look at it is everybody's on their own journey and at their own point of like openness to mm-hmm. new things. And I think if we lead with some information around like, look, this is where I'm at. This is what I've been going through. This is how it's infected and helped me. I want to have this become part of my team's practice because I feel like it will help you. And at the end of the day, I'm here to help you get better, be your best self, if you, as you said before, Richard. So um, I'm going to implement this. You can participate or not, but uh, I'd be honest with you, give it an honest try. Give it a shot. Let's reflect and see how you feel. And if you think it's not for you, then move on. But here's all the data that I found and the personal experience that I found of how it's helped me. Let's go. I mean, that, that's just the way I would position it. Mm, great. I agree, with you. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Like, you know, everyone is on their own journey, and you, but you can just, you know, change, making changes is a science in itself, isn't it? You know, we're all at different points along those and different areas of different change. And, um, I think that's a really nice way you, you put it, you know, at least it's creating a moment of silence. So whether they're activating in a, a breath exercise or not, there's a, there's a moment of pause and they could use that or they could be looking at a screen or whatever, but it, it's, it's up to them, but at least there's a moment of pause before going into that, that next. And one other thing on a, a previous interview we had, we talked about, for me personally, standing on my feet while I'm on calls and things like that helped improve my ability to focus. Whereas Matt had the experience that it actually caused him to be speaking faster and a little more anxious or, you know, accelerated in his approach. And I, I think the, the result of that example was we agreed that, you know, everything doesn't work for everybody. They have to find their thing what works for them. And so if breath work, if silence, if whatever we're trying to put in here, they half the group finds it works for them. The other half doesn't, that's fine. You've at least now moved one step closer to finding what does work. Perfect. For you. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Before we get into where we can find you, Richard, because I know, you know, there's probably a lot of people that we work with or listeners here that would benefit from the work that you do. Um, I'd love to ask you just like a recommendation on books. I know you quoted a bunch of people here. And so um, any books that you would recommend for people out there that are, you know, looking to learn more about things like breathing and, and wellness and, you know, the connection between the mind and the body and kind of everything we talked about. Yeah, for sure. Three amazing books. Um, the first one is called breath by James Nesta, N E S T O R. Um, really wonderful book. Uh, just basically he's going through his own journey with it and there is science in it, but it's, it's very easy. It's, it's, 
it's written for the layman. So, you know, it's very easy to understand a really nice book. Um, really easy to read. The second book is Stealing Fire by Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler. Jamie Wheel is the, the director of um, the Flow Genome Project. That is a look at non-ordinary states and how to how the benefits of using altered states to achieve great performance, to achieve better well-being, to give you an insight into, as he describes it, the capital M of more of life, and it's 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 written in from a scientific point of view. So it's not it's it is talking about. Well, non-ordinary states, but in a very educated way. It's a really wonderful read. Exciting book, Dayon. And then the third one is called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. And that's simply um, the new science of psychedelics. And that has breath work in that book as well. But again, it's his, his own journey going through that. And I think all those books are amazing um, on their own way. And they all touch the topic of altered states and non-ordinary states. And I think the Western world, my, my understanding and experience now in these last five years, like the Western world uh, values, well, it's a mono, it's stealing it from anthropology. It's a mono, uh, monophasic in culture. So we value kind of very limited states of consciousness or alert problem solving. So the coffee culture, the happy hour, that kind of stuff, we, we need to be focused and we need to be producing and we need to be optimizing. Whereas you've got indigenous tribes who are polyphasic in nature where they value lots of different states of consciousness or awareness. So that could be trances, dream states, whatever it is, there's a whole variety of different states that people get into where they are, they value and they, they, they don't necessarily take them as gospel truth or what experiences, but they offer so much value with regards to experience of life. And, um, and so those books cover that in a really well-educated, scientific way. For the sake of our audience, uh, I'm sure, like Matt said, some of these folks would want to connect with you or, or learn more from you, read any sort of content you may be sharing. So where's the best place for them to find out what you're up to and get a hold of you? Website is theconsciouslifecollective.com. Um, I'm sure you have a link to it. And then in Instagram, the Conscious Life Collective. And then got a YouTube channel where I do and a, and a podcast, the Conscious Life Podcast. Um, just simply talking about breaking a lot of this stuff down into simple 20 minute, 15, 20 minute kind of clips of very simple wellbeing practices, uh, personal mastery, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then LinkedIn, if you want to check me out on LinkedIn as well, Richard Husseini at LinkedIn. Excellent. We honestly really appreciate the time. We, we think this kind of conversation is super, super fascinating. And, and um, there's a lot of, interesting techniques and um, principles that you laid out today that I think can be easily adopted. And, and there's a few that I, I have mental notes on um, just from the first one of, of, is it impacting me? Like, is it information or is it affecting me? Right. Informing or affect. So I think looking at a situation and being able to put perspective on that, that's something I'm going to definitely uh, harness a little bit more. So thank you very much for being on here. Appreciate the time and, and um, all the wisdom you shared with our audience. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you. Coming up on our next episode of The Two Sales Guys, we interview a longtime mentor and personal friend of ours, Forrest Hobbs. 
Forrest has an over 20-year successful sales career, holding multiple chief revenue officer positions, an active member of the board of advisors for several companies, and a proven track record of leading high-growth sales organizations through multiple large acquisitions. We're excited to chat with Forrest about how sales cultures are changing, how they need to change, and what goes into mental performance, mental health, and overall wellness in today's modern sales environment. Please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts and get an alert when our next episode is released on January 27th. Also, don't forget to subscribe and like to all of our social media channels. And thanks for listening.